Hello and welcome to the Research Ops podcast, an initiative of the Research Ops community. I'm your host for today, Brigitte Metzler. I'm one of the co-chairs of this huge global volunteer-run community. As always, I'm assuming if you're listening, then you might know a little bit about Research Ops, the mechanisms and processes that set user research in motion. If you'd like to know more about Research Ops, you can find us at our website, researchops.community or on our medium publications in English, French, German and Portuguese. Follow us at Team Reops on Twitter, find the group on LinkedIn and join in the conversation at hashtag researchops. We're recording a special series of the researchops podcast in preparation for the researchops conference, a partnership between learners and the researchops community. The conference is on in New York City on Wednesday, June the 8th. We cannot wait to finally be able to see each other in person. So today we'll be speaking with Casey Canlis. Casey leads the UX research operations at Genesis, the global leader in cloud customer experience and contact center solutions. Casey previously led UX research operations at McGraw-Hill a leading global provider of digital products and services. While she's always cared about protecting research participants, the recent updates to data privacy laws led her to examine the current research processes to establish safeguards and best practices around handling participants' data. Casey is excited to share her experience identifying potential data privacy issues and finding solutions for compliant research practices. With new data privacy laws frequently emerging, such as GDPR and the more recent SHRAMS 2 court decision, it can be challenging to evaluate your research practice to see if current processes are compliant. It's crucial to document the necessary PII in your processes to provide the safeguards when needed. Casey's talk will give actionable steps for the audience to take to build secure data privacy compliant research practice, such as how to evaluate existing processes what information needs to be documented, along with essential steps and best practices to add to your strategy. In my talk today with Casey, we cover all of those things, but we also look at what kinds of skills you need as a research operations professional. We talk about her emerging, her, her role as, as she's emerged in her research ops practice. We talk about her role within an organization and how to best make really good partnerships and good relationships across your organization. And we also talk a little bit about both of our experience as being people with ADHD who are also research operations professionals. We both agree it's a really fantastic uh, augmentation of the research ops role uh, because we can always handle lots and lots of things all at the same time. We talk about research ops as a team sport, and we talk about communicating about human-centered design with the organization and about governance and legal processes with our researchers. Welcome, Casey, to the Research Ops podcast. I'm so pleased to have you on the show. Uh, have been watching your career develop over the past few years just from afar. And so it's really nice to be able to finally sort of be in a room, even though it's virtual, <laughs> with you 
uh, so that we can sort of dig into how research ops has happened for you and all about your talk that you're going to give at Research Ops Conf. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. It's funny that you say that because I've watched you and like looked at all of your articles and it feels like there's a bit of a smaller knit research ops community since we're so new. So you know the names and you're like, oh, I know her. I've looked at all of her stuff on repositories and the yeah. situation. So the admiration goes both ways. Uh, lovely. Thank you so much. Um, so for people who don't know you, uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about, um, I mean, obviously at Research Ops Conference um, in June, you're going to be talking about something really specific that everyone just wants to know. Tell me about your backstory. How did you, how did you get to be so brilliant and, and how did you get to understand all of those things? Tell me, where did you go? So I used to be working as a media project manager. So I was like mm -hmm. managing vendors, managing art specs. And I kept realizing there's better ways I could be doing this. I'm spending so much time doing admin work and it's just, it's really boring. I'm listening to way too many podcasts on book. And so I started figuring out ways that I could automate things or mm -hmm. make it easier on myself. And we created a task force. When I say we, there were several others that were similar to me, like automatically starting to change things, make things better. Nice. And it was really something that brought, that brought me into the eyes of the management. And they thought that I would be perfect for the new research operations team and the new UX research team at McGraw-Hill. Mm -hmm. And so I was about to leave and have my first child. Um, so my child is pretty much the age of my research ops career because I came back from maternity leave and it was just absolutely a weird time to be like a mother and now in a new job. And I believe I said, it's been chaotic before um, when you have a kid and there's no way of looking up a rule book or there's no way to find out what's wrong or yeah. how to do this or that. And so research ops, even though there was little information to find, there was enough out there that it was like a treasure hunt. So you could find a little bit from design ops sites. You could find some from where Kate Towsey had posted about mm -hmm. how she was establishing her research ops practices. And so it really was a hobby of mine. It was just like learning more and more. And one of the things was data privacy. Like uh -huh. I loved learning, how can we do better for yeah. our participants? Because I'm very empathetic. Like I just always put myself in other shoes, which can be good and can be bad. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it's good because I always am like, how can we make our participants who choose to work with us have a better time? Like how can right. we improve their experience? Because they're giving us a piece of themselves. Like yeah. when they choose to work with us, when they choose to meet us and talk to us, we deserve to give them an easy experience because we don't want them to leave frustrated. We don't want them to feel like yeah. their words weren't heard or we aren't thankful to be there with them. Yeah. And so part of that was really data privacy. Um, one of my first things that I got into was informed consent. So actually, when you see NDAs and they are protecting the companies, there's a thing called informed consent yeah. and that protects your participant. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. So it sounds as though to me, data privacy is more or less um, 
just a, a process of, uh, of having a good relationship with a participant. Uh, yeah, and you know, I think I've heard you um, mention, uh, heard you talk about it being you know, like your role being about creating a safe space. Does that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's really accurate because you never know what they're going to tell you when you're having interviews. It might seem like the conversation is going one direction and then they might bring something out that's personal or they might bring something out that really touched them. And so it's always important for them to feel comfortable with your researchers, to feel comfortable with you. Mm. Um, I always like to sign my stuff that I send out, like when it's from me. So they know like, oh, that's Casey again. She sent me another survey or <laughs> however it is, just to give a face to the name. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a, a full participant journey kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. And so can you tell me a little bit about how, um, you know, so I, uh, I tried to talk to my bosses about research ops being a team sport <laughs> because, you know, if you don't have a big team, you kind of need a whole bunch of people uh, to help you. So what, what does that, you know, it's a really technical field, especially in that bit in data privacy can you tell me about who, who are we partnering with in your organization when you're doing that? Um, you always want to find your data privacy person, your data privacy officer. You want to find your legal um, counsel, whoever that may be. I had just started at my current job and I was just like, who's your data privacy person and who do you speak to for legal? And they were just like, What? And I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to get to know them. They're yeah. going to be my best friends because we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff and yeah. not everybody wants to talk about data privacy and they will. So that's the great thing. It's yeah, that's true. They will. Getting them in. to learn. Yeah. <laughs> they like, will know that with you about that stuff. <laughs> it's true. And once you show up on their doorstep and you say, Hey, I'm trying to bring data privacy to my team they're not going to shut you out. They're going to be like, okay, let's have a conversation. So. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, Research Ups covers lots of um, very disparate fields, <laughs> which is fantastic um, for, for, for people like us um, who, you know, have ADHD and maybe enjoy lots of different fields all at the same time. So, um, you know, I can think of tools being about data privacy and maybe your your research data and you've mentioned recruitment. Can you talk about the breadth of, um, like, where is governance and data privacy not a thing, almost? <laughs> it's just kind it's of It's pretty much it? everywhere, because yeah. even if you think about how you store your files, who are you giving access to? Right. That's data privacy. Right. And when you talk to somebody okay, you probably need consent from them if you're going to record them, if you're going to record their video. You know I mean? If, they, if you wanted to use something um, when you're giving like a report back to your internal teams, like you have to have their consent for that, which is a great thing. Often people are scared of the fact that there's data privacy laws because it can make it harder for you, uh -huh. but it's great because it's actually making it better for you at the same time. So as a research right. operations person, you have a lot more to figure out. But as a human being, it's nice that your rights are slowly getting better and better to where you can give this consent. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
I'm definitely. No, I would say there's none. Yeah. <laughs> it just covers your whole. So, so, so if, if I'm a research operations person or I'm wanting to get into the field, does that mean, it sounds like I just about need a law degree rather than a research degree. Is that right? <laughs> no, not at all. The great <laughs> thing about research operations is it touches pretty much anything and everything. And it uh-huh. is what you make it. There's all kinds of different positions that you can work in as well. Um, yeah. You could do participant recruitment if that's something you really like, building panels, talking to people. I mean, you can if you care about, I don't have a law degree. I I have a video production degree. I wanted uh, to edit videos and somehow, so yeah. I am not the law person <laughs> and I'm not speaking from a privacy or law perspective. I'm just speaking as someone who cares about us being protected. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would say that you could do whatever really intrigues you because that's the thing yeah. you'll stick with and it might change. You might decide that you really love teaching others. So maybe yeah. it's democratizing research. Okay. So, so basically we can hear that uh, you can pretty much come to the table with any skills whatsoever and but it mostly for you it sounds to me as though um that connection with people and being that kind of um central point is the bit that kind of fires you up yeah 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 it's funny because we kind of are I don't want to say invisible if you're doing Mm. your job right not as many people know you exist sometimes that's right but um you really connect a lot of different people. And sometimes it's up to you to find those connections. Mm -hmm. They might even be where you don't realize. Um, Just like being in meetings and hearing people talk. Basically, um, I found that a lot of some of my best connections have happened when I'm in meetings and someone mentions something offhand. Mm -hmm. And then I want to find out a little bit more about that. And it's an opening for something that we're currently working on. It might not be in the works yet, but it's something that we can move towards in the future. Uh-huh. So, yeah, there's no that's a that. really nice pickup. I think, um, you know, something I notice about the way I work and I suspect that it's an operations thing um, more than more than anything um, is that ability to see it's going to be useful down the track. So I'm going to start now. And that's I think that's about um the different speed of research operations. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because obviously, like, as you say, if it's, if it's working well, it's invisible. So, but in order for it to work well, there's a whole bunch of stuff that has to come beforehand. So, yeah, does that ring true to you, that whole need to, to start way back when? <laughs> and it's not always the thing that's screaming loudest at you. Yeah. And that's the thing I think that's important too, is sometimes you might be directed to take care of this thing because it's very visible, yeah. but like your core elements of like even information architecture. So just mm-hmm. like how you choose to structure your research reports or your readouts or your tooling documentation. Yeah. If you don't have a good information architecture, you will lose everything and find yourself searching for it constantly so there's those core core things I think that are very important and it involves having conversations with those who are higher in um, the departments wherever Mm -hmm. you may be like higher in the research org and just trying to find out what is their goals what do they want 
to have happen? And then how can you support that? And so sometimes it's foundational. Sometimes you're Mm -hmm. building a participant panel. Sometimes you're doing information architecture, naming structures or repositories, as you well know, are like the backbone of everything. Um, But other times it can be fun side projects where it's just a little avenue that maybe it's something that you can find new incentives for your participants that you didn't mm-hmm. realize existed mm-hmm. or partnering with another part of your company that also wants access to your, um, your yeah. like users or yeah. your people that you interact with and your customers. So yeah. often you find that there's not that there's not that much difference between you and often other people and ops if you happen to look through all of your ops people, I bet you'll find some real friends there because they want to know everything about everything too. <laughs> it sounds like it's a, almost like a personality type. <laughs> people right? just want to know. <laughs> that, that should be like a prerequisite. Are you curious? Because yeah. you're going to get curious about a lot of things. <laughs> I love it. So um, at your talk at, at at Research Ops Conf, um, you know, you've said that you're going to be able to, we're going to be able to walk away from that with some real actionable things. Um, can you talk me through a few of those things? Um, obviously, you know, you don't need to tell, give me a whole talk, but what am I going to be able to take back home with me? Um, you know, I'm partnering with my legal team right now on a new thing. And what should I learn from you, Casey? Well, first off, I'm going to do a disclaimer and say I am not legal and I am not data privacy. I yeah. am straight up research operations because I think that's important to get out. Um, I agree. But I will say that from a research operations perspective, we have a great opportunity to affect a lot of how research is done and how, what's the word I'm thinking of, how mature our ethical practices. Right. Like our ethical maturity. And so it's very important to kind of clean house, as you'll Uh say. And you know how you can walk into your grandmother's house and there's maybe dust everywhere and you you don't know where the trinkets are from like the different areas. They weren't labeled. So you don't know if this is like a prized heirloom or maybe this is a teacup that she, (laughs) she just bought. Yeah, a yard sale. And that's kind of essentially how um, PII is. You might collect it haphazardly Uh and you're just like, oh yes, I'll definitely use this later. But then maybe the link to someone who knew how those connected has disappeared. And so now you're just standing there holding a $2 teacup filled with PII. (laughs) And you're like, do we need this? If I, if I take this out, is it, is it going to be an issue? So it's really taking note of all of the different PII across your practice and where you're collecting it. And it's okay if you haven't had a good map of where everything is, because that's why we're we're doing this is where is the information? What do we need to do with it? And why do we need to keep it? And I will be sending not sending. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not going home with everyone that comes to the research. I know, right? I'm very fun on plane rides. You can ask my husband. Totally. Um, Come to Australia. <laughs> uh, I will. My sister-in-law's okay. from there. But um, I would love to just like be able to provide you with actionable tips on yeah. here's the steps I need to go through in order to have a better idea 
of what to take to my chief data privacy officer and my legal officers and say, do I have any issues here I need to look at? Is there (laughs) any parts of my process that I should maybe zero in on and make better or even data security? Like who needs access to this? And should I limit the audiences that we have? Yeah. And it's very important. And I think that once you have that information and you've kind of looked at everything you have, you can start creating a research privacy policy on how you're using that information. You can create your informed consent document because you now know here's how I'll protect your information. And here's the information that I plan on collecting. Mm -hmm. And here's when I plan on no longer storing it. Yeah. And here's why I'm taking it. So it's all of these little pieces and parts and just really like cleaning house. Sounds fantastic. (laughs) I can't can't wait to have a a much more clean house um, at work. You're going to con Marie everything. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. Um, Fantastic. And uh, yeah, is there is there anything else um, that you wanted to, to cover off that you wanted the listeners to, to, to learn about or to hear about before we, before we finish up? If you have ADHD, don't con Marie because you might end up with like 15 <laughs> pairs of jeans on your bed and you just want to go to sleep. Now, um, <laughs> let me think. I think I would just say you're not alone. Even if you're a research ops team of one, Uh you are not alone. You have the other researchers on your team. You have any managers that you're working with. You have anyone that you're supporting is probably in your corner. And there might be certain things that you can also reach out to them for help. So Uh you don't have to take it on all by yourself and just making sure you breathe. Because I know with research ops, we can have 5,000 things running at us at once. And (laughs) it can be hard to figure out what the priority is. And that's one thing where I always tell my boss, what's the priority right now? Like, right. you tell me what's the, what's the biggest priority because you might think, okay, here's these three things. And then they show up and they say, I have two more things for you. And you're like, well, I already have three things. Yeah. Where, where does it go? So yeah, I think it's giving yourself grace and being able to take a moment, take mm-hmm. a breath and say, what's the priority here? And then just mm-hmm. focus on that one thing, because as we've talked ADHD, yeah. I can be a little scattered and sometimes I can want to work on things that I love the most. And right. so I'll really want to deep dive into that one thing when maybe I should be working on something else. Yeah. And so it always helps to ask priorities and get recentered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'm hearing, you know, Research ops is a is a team sport across the entire organization, and mm-hmm. and that you're just this fantastic central conduit. And you know who, who wouldn't love you? Your your sole sort of reason for being is to create safe spaces for everyone. You know, in terms of data privacy and all those kinds of things. And uh, and you know, to be honest, it sounds to me as though having ADHD. And being a research operations person is actually a really good thing, like that you can hold a million things at once. And uh, but yeah, I hear you on the <laughs> on the need to to um, to get some help with the prioritizing. It can everything can feel like it's on fire at the same time sometimes. Kind of yeah. yeah. And you're holding a small bucket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. But that's why it's a team sport, right? Yes. And I mean, it's great to, I guess this is one more thing that I always think is important. Mm. If you're 
by yourself if you're a one-man band just um take take note of what you could do if you had more help and start jotting down that information like how much more could you provide if you had headcount and maybe it won't happen that year maybe it'll happen the next year the next year Mm -hmm. but I think as research operations starts becoming more of a defined field we're getting more of the communication out people are going to realize that if you have a good research operations professional on your team they can make your researchers so much more efficient that they can operate and do so much more work at what they're good at versus trying to handle other things that maybe isn't their forte yeah yeah awesome yeah so really and and being able to scale the impact of of what it is that they're doing and all of their brilliant work as well yeah fantastic well thank you so much Casey it's just been an absolute pleasure to meet you um finally (laughs) I know um you know I I can't wait for you to come to Australia and come and come Marie my my work and my home (laughs) it will end up terribly I hope not (laughs) there's got to be a better way (laughs) It's, it's always good to, to do the things that spark joy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Marie Kondo, man. She's going to be sponsoring this podcast. It sounds like it. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. And we'll see you, you again soon. And that's the end of today's podcast. Don't forget. You can find tickets to reopsconf2022 at reopsconf2022.joinlearners.com. It's on Wednesday, June the 8th, in person in New York City or online. You can see Holly, myself, Casey, most of the Research Ops board, all of our speakers, and of course, others in the community at the conference. We're so looking forward to seeing you all there. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to hear more, please subscribe or join us in the Research Ops community. If there's someone you'd like us to talk to, please let us know. We hope you'll join us next time at the Research Ops podcast, or we'll see you soon in the Slack. <laughs>